Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders for the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And a while back, I was reading an article that really caught my attention. What caught it first was the title. This is what the title was, Agority. Beneath that title was A-G-U-R-I-T-Y, and then the pronunciation, Agority. And the state it was, the quality or state of being like Agor. Does anybody remember right off the top of your head who he was? Or even better, why we should want to be like him? Well, let's find out who he was and what there was about him that we should seek to emulate. Agor was the author of a series of statements of wisdom found in Proverbs 30. Let's look at Proverbs 30, verse 1. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, the oracle. The man declares to Ithiel, to Ithiel, and Ucal. So, from a biographical standpoint, what we just read is all that we know about him. He was the son of Jacob and offered words of wisdom to his acquaintance, Ithiel, and Ucal. That's it. We can infer from the remainder of the chapter that he had a wide range of experiences. There is every indication that Argo was especially astute observer of nature in general and human nature in particular. Several of his proverbs deal with business and financial issues, and we're going to look at three verses that deal with financial issues. The verses are absolutely unique in the book of Proverbs because they not only constitute Proverbs, but also a prayer. As far as I can tell, it's the only prayer in Proverbs but it is set forth as a numerical proverb. Agur has a real fondness for numerical proverbs. Let me show you what I mean. In verse 15 we read, The leech has two daughters. Give, give. There are three things that will not be satisfied, four that will not say enough. Move on down to verse 18. There are three things which are too wonderful for me, four which I do not understand. Look at verse 21. Under three things the earth quakes, and under it four, it cannot bear up. On down to verse 24. Four things are small on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. And now look at verse 29. There are three things which are stately in their march, even four which are stately when they walk. Now I read those just so we could get an idea of what kind of writing is taking place here. But now let's turn our attention to verses 7 through 9, both a prayer and a proverb. Agur wrote the following, Two things I ask of thee. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, lest I be fool and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal, 
and profane the name of my God. Now, as we look at this prayer, there's quite a bit that we're going to have to speculate about because we do not know the circumstances under which he wrote. There are also some very clear lessons that do not require speculation at all. As we read Augur's prayer, there sure seems to be a sense of urgency present. He first asked the Lord, then he progressed to do not refuse me. Not only that, he prays that his petitions be granted before I die. Maybe he is ill and fears that death is near. Perhaps he has recently suffered a significant financial setback. Or maybe he's just thinking of what might lie ahead. Whatever might be the motive, he knows his only resource is to appeal to God. Augur asks for two things, but there are really three, although the second and the third are complementary in content. First, he prays that the Lord will keep deception and lies far away from him. Second, that the Lord will plant him firmly in the middle. Specifically, he doesn't want to be wealthy or poor, but only to have that which is sufficient, his portion as he called it. Both petitions to avoid falsehood and to have the right mindset about wealth are common themes in the book of Proverbs. Here, Augur combines them. His appeal for truthfulness is stated negatively and compared to the remainder of the prayer seems to be almost out of place. It may be that Augur is not asking in a general way for truthfulness, but in a more specific way about truthfulness in his finances. I'll speculate a little bit. Perhaps some associates of his had stolen or squandered his wealth. Maybe his wealth had been lost through poor decision-making or simply through misfortune. What he needed now was a dose of truth about his resources and situation. His request for financial balance is described in three ways. He does not want to be wealthy, neither does he want to be poor. He wants only the day's provision of food. Then Augur explained why. Both explanations, his desire not to be rich or poor, have essentially the same reason. In both cases, he does not want to forget his dependence upon God. Augur renounced wealth to avoid misplaced pride. His fear was that if he accumulated great wealth, he would give credit to himself and not to God. That was one of Israel's frequent problems. Think of how often they received warnings like that found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. That passage says, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you shall eat and be satisfied, then watch yourself, lest you forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. It is interesting that in other places the book of Proverbs teaches that wealth can be a legitimate product of hard work. But here is a necessary caveat to that general truth. Don't forget the one from whom all blessings truly flow. Augur also renounced poverty in order to avoid a complete mistrust in God's provision. Just as there is no particular virtue in wealth, neither is there any particular virtue in being destitute. In fact, Proverbs indicates that sometimes poverty is the deserved result of poor character and a poor work ethic. 
not all the time, but sometimes. However, poverty can result in mistreatment, exploitation, and humiliation by others. I think of a verse like Proverbs 19 and verse 7, which says, All the brothers of a poor man hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but they are gone. Altogether, that might lead to bitterness, frustration, and a lack of faith. Finally, he could content himself with the day's provisions. He wrote, Feed me with the food that is my portion. There is a solid faith behind that request. The word feed means to provide, reinforcing the idea that this is a prayer. He knows that only the Lord can ensure what he needs. He asks for no luxuries, only that which is his portion or allotment. This is just like the give us us, this day our daily bread, as Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11. These three verses have been called, interestingly, the prayer of the middle class. It certainly does make an appeal to be in the middle of two financial extremes, but Augur's idea of being in the middle is a lot different from ours. There are at least three reasons why. First, our definitions are quite different. In America, the middle class is sometimes defined by its values and aspirations. Many who consider themselves middle class or aspire to be define middle class with a certain set of expectations. Home ownership, a car for each adult, a college education for the children, good health insurance, financial security and retirement, and the ability to take family vacations, not staycations, but vacations. For Agor being in the middle meant he had enough for each day, his portion. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8, And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. The Bible equates middle-classness with contentment. Secondly, in America, we are really lacking financial self-awareness. Most of the people we know in America consider themselves to be middle class. I know I do. But a 2005 New York Times survey found that 92% of Americans described themselves as being middle class. Only 1% considered themselves upper class, and only 7% considered themselves lower class. That is a jarring lack of objectivity and suggests that many are too proud to call themselves poor while many others are too blind to call themselves rich. It's as if folks desperately want to keep up with the Joneses, but once we catch them, we don't want to admit we did. Consider how Proverbs 27 and verse 23 would fit into this discussion. The verse says, Know well the condition of your flocks, and pay attention to your herds. There is value in really knowing where we stand. Thirdly, Americans are generally myopic about our finances in relation to the rest of the world. Most of us, myself included, have no idea how good we really do have it. Where does a typical American family of four stand? Well, the following numbers come from the website givingwhatwecan.org. They have been rounded just to make it easier for us to talk about them. It tells us if a family's annual income is $25,000, that family earns more than 86% of the rest of the world. It takes that family two months to earn what the rest of the world earns in a year. If a family's annual income is 50,000, that family earns more than 92% of the rest of the world. 
It takes that family about a month to earn what the rest of the world earns in a year. If the family's annual income is 75000 that family earns more than 96% of the rest of the world. It takes that family about three weeks to earn what the rest of the world earns in a year. If the family's annual income is 100000 that family earns more than 98% of the rest of the world. It takes that family about 16 days to earn what the rest of the world earns in a year. And finally, if a family's annual income is 200000 that family earns more than 99.8% of the rest of the world. It takes that family about nine days to earn what the rest of the world earns in a year. So yes, our definitions are different, and we are really materially wealthy. So, how do we become more augur-like? How can we develop augurity? First, by making this prayer our own. Can we really pray that we don't want to be rich? Let's read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9-10. through 10. Timothy wrote, or Paul wrote to Timothy, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. There is nothing wrong with wealth, unless it leads to what Augur did not want to have happen. We must be able to pray that we will be content with what God provides, and that even if it should be great wealth, that we will not forget the one from whom all blessings flow. We also need to have a realistic picture of our financial situation. My friends, until we honestly and truthfully recognize how blessed and wealthy we truly are, we will never be able to put aside financial fear and frustration and reach that point of contentment for which Augur prayed. Also, we do not have to be participants in our overly materialistic society. We don't have to be a slave to Black Friday or Cyber Monday or the sale to end all sales. We don't have to spend thousands over the holidays. We really don't need the bigger TV, the latest or the coolest electronic stuff. In our general circle of acquaintances and friends, when house hunting, what is one of the things that they're looking for? Closet space, storage rooms. Why? It's because of all the stuff that we have. It reminds me a little of the well-known passage in Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. The passage says, And he said to them, Beware, and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when a man has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Then I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And then finally, we can use our finances for the sake of the kingdom. 
Augur's real desire was to put everything in his life, including his wealth, under the Lord's scrutiny. He wanted his attitude toward and his usage of wealth to be balanced because he knew that it ultimately reflected back on his relationship to the Lord. So let's make Augur's prayer and Augur's character ours. Thanks for listening.